Scripture reading for this morning is from Ruth, chapter 1, 1 to 18. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of a Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is the word of the Lord. And this is the story that God tells over and over again, a, a love story for His people, but then also including into the nations that, to, that His people were to be a blessing to the nations. And so, it's a great story. It ends well, but it doesn't start so grand. It starts with hardship. It starts with loss. And it meets us there, as many of us in this room, whether we're recognizing it currently or not, are in seasons of loss and in seasons of hardship, or we've just come from one or are about to head into one. And so it speaks to us wherever we are in the story. So as we begin this great book in the story, let's go to the Lord and ask His help in prayer. Father, I pray that You would meet us where we are in our losses. All of us know that experience, or if we're very young, perhaps we're yet to experience it, but it's coming. 
And we thank you that you are the God of good times and you are the, the God of times of loss and hardship. And as has been mentioned in the service before, we know that the world in some ways is in a, a time of hardship. And even just watching the news this week to see the bloodshed and the hardship that perhaps the world is heading into, the, the feeling that we're in very difficult times. We thank you that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of the nations, that you have brought us in, and you have committed yourself to us. And so this morning, as we see the hardship of another, and as we relate to our own lives, I pray that you would help us to return to you. You would show us the path back to yourself. We need your help for that, Father. We ask for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's been my experience, and probably yours as well, that hardship comes in waves, seasons. Something is good for a while, and then there's, there's seasons of hardship. For actually, much of my life, I felt like I escaped a lot of hardship. I was that, uh, that kid, I guess, in, in youth group that didn't really have a real prayer request. Um, you know, I was praying, like, I, my great aunt's toe, you know, uh, needs help. And, and there was, there was a, a long season of my life. Actually, I was in college before uh, I, I lost a, a member of my family that was close enough for me to know. We had a small family. And, and so, for much of my life, I just kind of uh, my early life, I passed through hardship without experiencing too much. I was generally did well, did well in school, and had opportunities, got the jobs that I applied for. Things generally just worked out for me. And it got to the point where I was thinking, maybe I'm doing something wrong, <laughs> not engaging well enough. But I, I remember feeling almost embarrassed about that. Like, how did I get to this place and, and escape so much hardship? But then, of course, the Lord had other plans, because the wave hit, and it hit again, and it hit again. And I won't go into all of what those details are, but uh, replanting this church was very hard in 2017. Some of you were there. We had a tragic and unexpected loss of an immediate family member. We had chronic illness in our house. We had uh, health scares with our children. Um, I had a concussion that took a year for me to recover from. We had a bad car wreck. And as I think about all the things, I'm not even naming all of them, you know, for you, but uh, there was some wave after wave after wave, and it was a reminder, oh yeah, this is what life is. It's finally kind of caught up. Your experience may be the same or may be different. Maybe you were born into a hard situation, and it seems like it comes periodically or maybe you were like me, but my experience is that loss and hardship comes in waves. And either you're in the wave, or you're waiting for the wave, or you've just gone out of the wave. But it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And the Bible, is, it acknowledges that. There's, there's nothing that in the, is in the Scriptures that says, well, this is your life. It, it's, a, it's a graph that goes you know, up and, and to the right. It's a, it's a pathway towards better and better experiences, even though we all kind of assume and hope and want that to be the case. Uh, if we look at what the Scriptures say, that's not actually what it promises us. It acknowledges that God is good, 
And it also acknowledges how hard life is. And both things are true at the same time. And there's actually a relationship between the goodness of God and the hardship of life. And here's what I want us to explore from Ruth chapter 1 this morning. Every experience of loss is an opportunity to return to God. Every experience of loss, hardship, whatever it may be, is an opportunity to return to God. Can return to Him or not. As we see in the Scriptures, examples of both. I think about the book of Job, uh, which has some similarity to the, to the book of Ruth in, in these, this opening chapter. Job, who experiences all this hardship, and, and his wife responds differently in the face of tragedy. His wife says, curse God and die. And Job says, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. And you see, there's a, and, and maybe that was just for a day. I'm not saying his wife was always like that. That could have been the, the day. But, but that is the, the picture of, of the two responses. When something comes in, you either respond with a move towards God or, towards away, or away from him. And what we see in Ruth chapter 1 is this, that the invitation that we should take is always to return to God. In fact, that is the theme of the chapter. There's a key word in this chapter that's not obvious to see, though it's used 12 times. The translation is a little different. Sometimes it's turn, sometimes it's return, or to go towards. But 12 times in this passage, the word shuv is used, and it means to return or to turn. They return to Bethlehem. Naomi tells Ruth and Orpah to return to their homeland. Ruth says she would like to return with Naomi to where she is from. And so you see it over and over and over again. And it's almost like the author is telling us or asking us, where do you return? When, when something like this happens, and, and we're going to look at the hardship that they're experiencing, where is it that you turn? Is there a return back to God or is there a turn towards other resources? I want, to see, I want us to see three losses, which again I'm saying are opportunities. And then there's three returns in this passage. So first, there's three losses. The loss, first of all, of good times. The loss of good times. As the scene opens up in the book of Ruth here, it's a picture. Picture a desert. Picture a tumbleweed, you know, going. This is this is the setting, if it was on a stage, they would have the lights out or they would have some ominous backdrop. This is not going to be a fun opening to the story. And there's so many hints that tell us that that's exactly the case. Look at verse 1. And the days when the judges ruled. That's your first hint. And the days that the judges ruled. What are the days of the judges like? I don't know if you've read the book of Judges, which comes right before this, but this is the same time period as the Judges. And what was the book of Judges like? It is chaos. The theme of the book of Judges is Judges 21-25. In those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it's a painful thing to read how bad Israel went off tracks during this time. So in the days when the Judges ruled, that's our first clue of the setting. We move on. There was a famine in the land. A famine. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. 
There's a famine in the land. There's no food. And this man comes from Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem. There's no bread in the house of bread. They move towards Moab. They lose their country, their home. They move to sojourn in the country of Moab, and more red flags go off for reading this with our Bible lenses on, because Moab, I don't think, has a single positive mention in the Bible. Moab are the descendants of the man Moab, who was the son of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew, and Abraham had this nephew Lot who went with him, and Lot had his son Moab by his own daughter. That's the origin of Moab. And there's no other positive mention. There's, there's stories of Moab interfering with Israel, of tempting Israel sexually. There's all kinds of terrible stuff about Moab. This is the setting where we find the story. And speaking of Abraham, this whole account seems like it's almost the photo negative of Abraham's life. If you know the patriarch Abraham, he is approached by God, and, and he's an Ur of the Chaldees. He's a pagan, and God comes to him and shows himself and says, I am the Lord, and you will follow after me, and I will bless you, and I will give you this land. And here we have Elimelech, who is, uh, whose name means God is king, and, and, and he comes to Elimelech and says, but you've got to move away from this promised land. This is the situation where we find ourselves at the beginning of this story. It's a loss of good times. A generation against God, the judges, in a geography, Moab, that's set against God, in circumstances where it's hard to believe in God, famine. And so you might want to ask the question, what could possibly emerge from this that is redemptive? What could possibly come from this that God could use? You know, the beginning of the tale of two cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Well, this is just the worst of times. That's it. What could possibly come from this that would be redemptive? But there's a second loss, the loss of dear people. Death. The first death is in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Left. She lost her husband. In this setting, adding more loss to her life. And then there's 10 years. We see in verse 4. Ten years passed, these two sons took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Machlon and Chilion died so that the, women, the woman was left with her two, sons, her two sons and her husband, without her two sons and her husband. More death. Ten years passed. Why is that significant? Well, it simply shows us that there's another loss here. Where are the children? Ten years they've been married, and there is no heir for this family. And you have to understand something of the power and the necessity of the family line. And so we add either barrenness or miscarriage to the loss. And then 
the two brothers die, and again, Naomi is left. The dearest people to her. Death is the greatest loss. The Bible calls it the greatest enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So again, we ask, what could possibly emerge from this that is redemptive, that is hopeful? The loss of good times, the loss of dear people, there's one more loss, the loss of future hope. As Naomi prepares to go back to Judah, she considers her daughters-in-law and what could possibly be waiting for them. This is what she says in verse 8, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return, there's the word for us, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? She's realizing there's no prospect for these Moabite women except for begging. The provision and protection was with the men of the family in this time, and the importance, as I mentioned, of the family line. And so what Naomi is thinking is, there is no future there. There, there has to be a family line. And if I go back, um, what our, my best hope would be what's called a Leverite marriage. Oh, she's picturing what happened often when a brother would die or a nephew would die in a family, then the, the son, the other son, or the brother, or the cousin would marry that person's wife and have children in their name. I know it sounds like a strange custom, but this is how they preserved the family line, and that's where the hope was, that this is our future. And she's saying, there is no future for this. Which, which person would redeem or buy back or would marry in the Levite marriage covenant these Moabite women? So she tells her daughters an absurdity in verses 11 through 13. I'm too old. I can't have children. Even if I were to get pregnant today, I get married and get pregnant today, would you wait for your, my kids to grow up? Of course, it's absurd on the face of it, and even absurd mathematically, as Ruth and Naomi would be too old then to, to have children and to continue the, the line. And so, she's not telling this story with any kind of seriousness. It is actually just a picture of her derision and her bitterness. The absurdity of the lack of hope. Even in the best possible scenario, she's saying it's hopeless. Loss after loss after loss. What's the human response? Honesty and weeping are appropriate. Naomi is honest about where she is and her bitterness, her sadness. And she and Orpah and Naomi... And Ruth, weep loudly. And these tears are appropriate for the loss. This is their response, and it is a good response. I wonder if uh, you can name your losses. Because loss is real. And God is not uncompassionate towards loss. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem when he sees her, and he weeps at the 
tomb of Lazarus, even knowing that he's going to raise him from the dead. God is not uncompassionate towards loss. Even knowing that the end of the story is good, even knowing that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, even knowing that Ruth is going to marry Boaz, we know the story. If you've read it before, I won't spoil the whole thing. We'll get there. There is a good ending to this story. And by the way, there's a good ending to this whole life story. From creation to redemption, it is a good story. And it ends well where there is no more crying, no more weeping, no more loss, no more death. The death itself will be destroyed. There is a new heavens and a new earth. That's the end of the story. And we can know that. And Naomi can have some faith in that, but still cry because of loss. As Jesus did. Knowing what the story was, he still wept. Do you know what your losses are? You could be in a season of loss of good times. There are circumstantial things that are hard for you. A situation, a friendship, a job. Have you lost dear people? You only will more and more as you get older, young people. Have you lost some sense of the future? No, this is an interesting thing, but it's absolutely true. As Naomi looked forward and said, This is not going to work out well. There can be a sense of future loss. This, I don't see how this is going to work out well. I don't see. And I, maybe I screwed up my future. I don't see how I can be in the place where I want to be. I think it's a comfort to me that um, we don't actually know why the whys of this passage, why Naomi's going through this. And If you read through it, I won't go into the details of this, but there's some hints there that she knows that she kind of made her own bed, and she's lying in it. And and there's other senses in which she's just experiencing something from the outside where it's like, the Lord has just brought this on me. And, And that tension in the passage is actually the tension of our lives, right, where we think, am I kind of, am I bringing this on myself, this loss, or Or is it something else? And that tension is where we live. What could possibly emerge that is redemptive? Well, we have to, in a sense, go through the story. So I'm not going to bring us there all the way today. Because this is where she is in the story, and it's where we are in the story, and maybe where you are in the story. The need to grasp for some hope, some redemption. But the passage does give us hints of where this, this redemption is coming from. And there are three. First is in the provision of God. Look at verse 6 with me. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. Naomi's in the fields of Moab, and she hears just the beginnings of a hope There's bread in Judah. There's bread back in the house of bread. Naomi then thinks, I have a place to return. I have a place to return. See, God does permit suffering, but He never abandons His people. There is always provision where God is. 
There is bread for today. Literally, you are breathing. Now you are alive. If you can hear this, you can hear. This is God's provision for us. You are probably eating. If you're not eating, then you come to the right place because we will feed you today. Be happy to do that. The bread is for today. And so it's important for us to say, slow down and ask ourselves, what has God provided for me today? What has He given? And it's usually a lot more than what we're thinking on the surface. We're never promised in the Scriptures that our plan of exactly what our life will be, that up and to the right plan will be the plan that God gives us. That's not what's promised. But we are promised that God will provide for us. In the, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus taught us to pray like that, to pray for today, not for our, the whole plan. In fact, what we're praying for is the plan of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's God's plan that we are praying for, but we're also praying for us for bread for today. And so God provides something and in that something is the first glint of hope, and it may be for us as well. As we put our ear out, we hear like Naomi, there's bread in Israel. How is God going to provide? The second provision is the love of God, which Naomi has not fully abandoned. Look at verse 8 with me. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord, Yahweh, deal with kindly with you as you have dealt with me, with the dead, and with me. Naomi's in a bad place. She gives mixed advice in this passage, by the way, to return back to their homes and to their, to their gods, believing that's the best for them. But there's still an acknowledgement that the Lord, Yahweh, is the God of everything. May Yahweh deal kindly. When she says Deal kindly. It's a very significant word in the Old Testament used all over the place. Maybe you've heard it before. It's the word hesed. It is the steadfast love of the Lord. Loving kindness in the NIV. When you read that loving kindness or steadfast love in the ESV, that is that word hesed. It is God's committed love for His people. I once heard it described like this. It's love with super glue on it. It's sticky. It's His committed love. It's that love that we're talking about, that He has committed Himself to His people, that God's never giving up, never ending love that maybe you've read in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Naomi still believes in God's love, though it's hard to experience. She's lost her joy. She's lost her husband. She's lost her composure in crying, but she has not lost her faith. And this is really significant if we find ourselves in a season of loss. One of the returns that we have back to God is to recognize that He has committed Himself to us even when we don't understand. You actually don't have to understand everything that God is doing in your life to believe on faith that He loves you and is committed to you. And people often miss this and they say things like, there is no reason for suffering in the world. And they feel so sure about that. There is no reason for Suffering. I can't believe in God because there's no reason. The late Tim Keller points out that in saying that phrase, there is no reason for suffering, there is a hidden opening there, 
a hidden um, assumption, we might say. What we're really saying when we say something like that is there is no reason for suffering in the world that I can see, which makes all the difference in the world. I don't understand is the starting point of faith. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean in that moment that it's not good for you. Those of us who have children know this to be the case as we redirect them away from dangerous things that they want. And in a sense, God does the same thing. We don't have to understand exactly what God is doing in order to understand that He loves us and is committed to us. And that seems to be what Naomi is saying. In the midst of her suffering and loss, she's still able to say, there's a place for me to return, and there's a God who loves me. And that's all. That's, an, that's enough for, for right now, even in her bitterness. To keep faith when you don't understand is the essence of faith. It is the purpose of faith. And so we have two returns, the provision of God and the love of God. And finally, most significantly, the covenant of God. Demonstrated to us by Ruth herself. Look at verse 14 with me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi presses them to leave. Orpah leaves. Ruth clings. Another significant word. The word Ruth clung to her is the same word used in Genesis 2.24. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling or cleave to his wife. It is covenantal language. It is the language that God gives when there is an ultimate commitment. She follows up this action of clinging to her covenantally with a covenantal vow. Verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. There's the word again. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. What Ruth did here for Naomi and what we are called to do for each other is to demonstrate the commitment of God in covenant. She clung to Naomi, in other words, when Naomi could not offer her anything. There was no hope, seemingly. But little did they realize that this action, this covenant that Ruth makes to Naomi is going to be the beginning of the commitment that saves them. Because Ruth will be united to Boaz and it paves the way for a redeemer to come and save this family. Ruth shows us exactly what God does for us when we turn or return to Him. He's made a commitment to us. He clings to us even when we have nothing to offer in return. He unites Himself to us in His Son 
even in our despair, even in our sin, even in our loss, even in our circumstances, not when we are offering something to Him, but when we are lost. He clings to us. He makes a covenant. He demonstrates His love, and He provides bread, the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. The one whom we must partake of to have life in the world. He gives us Himself. He clings to us. And I like to think about that, the gospel spreading in Moab, if you will. The picture, the word gospel means good news. And I can just picture the gospel spreading in Moab as in the fields of Moab where Naomi is working. She overhears good news, gospel. There's bread in Israel, in Judah. And she thinks that's good news. I have a place to return. But you see how the story unfolds in the rest of the Scriptures. That promise only gets better and better because it's not just in Judah where the bread is available. What God is doing in His commitment to this Moabite woman and then to the ends of the earth is to say, it's not just there. It's good news for Moab. It's good news for the United States of America at the ends of the earth. Those of us who are outside of the promises of God have been brought in. There is bread here, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And He is the place that we return to. There's always bread for God's people because Christ always lives to give us His life and intercede for us. And so there is a place for us to return where we'll never be hungry again and never thirst again and where our our losses will be redeemed and made good again. It's in Jesus Christ. Good news for the world. Even if we have significant sin, even if we have significant loss, even if we have significant circumstances that have made us want to walk away from God, no matter what you have lost, as the Apostle Paul says, you can gain by having the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ and being filled with Him the fullness of God and man. And He can fill us better than anything that we're seeming to lack. And there will be times when we feel the loss more than we feel the gain. And there are times of weeping and there are times of recognition that we don't have what we plan to have or want to have. But there will be other times when He will come. And I hope that today is a time. I hope Hearing the, the gospel is a time. I hope coming to the table is a time when we can be filled again and say, no, he actually is enough. No matter the circumstances or the loss, returning to him is the best thing. Because God has made a covenant with his people, demonstrated to us by Ruth here, clinging to us when we could offer him nothing, yet he gives us everything. Let's pray. Thank you for the spread of the gospel to us this morning. I pray that we would hear the good news and respond in faith that there is a place for us to turn. Whatever losses we have, Lord, and all of us have them, if we just were to be quiet for a moment and think, what have I lost? I pray that we would 
immediately see what it is that we have gained. That Jesus Christ is sufficient. It fills us. And that this story is moving towards ultimate redemption. Even though it feels like the land of Moab, you are bringing us into a new heavens and a new earth. You are finishing the story. And you've given us enough for today. I pray that you would be enough. You would fill us with yourself even as we come to your table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.